around them and make disciples, encourage and equip others to be Jesus followers. I pray that these lessons would stick. I pray they would cause us to recalibrate our own thinking, adjust our attitudes, and whatever deep wrong or maybe even repeated offense may have happened or is going on now in somebody's life. I pray that these truths would help them to be like you, to do your will. And so that there will be the peace and the unity and the joy that comes with that that you promised and that you offered and that we can have. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. The simple lesson number two is keep forgiving. And this is a high expectation. This is a high expectation. Uh, when he says seven times a day, and he says he returns seven times, what did Jesus mean? Well, it means all day, means as many times as necessary. The point is not a specific amount of time. But that forgiveness is a standard practice for a Christian. It is not unusual. It is a way of life for a Christian. And we won't go there right now, but in, in Matthew chapter 18, where, where Jesus gives a step-by-step process for addressing an offense between believers. He says if your brother offends you, right, you go to him and take somebody else, and then you have to involve the church. Right after that, Good old Peter says, so, should I forgive my brother up to seven times? Right? Feeling magnanimous, feeling generous, feeling like we were going over the top, offer forgiveness seven times. And what did Jesus answer there? He said, 70 times seven. So here Jesus is instructing his disciples how to handle these issues that come between believers. And Peter says, okay, how many times are we required to do this? think seven is plenty, and Jesus just expands it out. And again, we know that seven times seven does not mean that he should count, okay, I'm finally at number 490, it just means endless. It means that he should be willing to practice forgiveness without limit. And, and Peter did not ask why, at least the scriptures don't tell us, Peter said, why Jesus? In Matthew 18. But Jesus did help him understand. Maybe what Jesus told Peter can help us understand why as well. He told the story of the slave. This slave owed a king millions of dollars. The slave was in debt, way over his head, could never repay. What did the king do? Forgave him. The man pleaded for forgiveness, and the king forgave him. And then the man would not forgive a fellow slave who owed him a fraction of the amount that he owed. King found out about it. And here's what the king said to the slave. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? There's the lesson. There's the answer to the question why. Why should we be willing to forgive someone who repeatedly wrongs us or sins against us for offending? Why? Because our king to whom we have been from whom we have been forgiven a debt we could never pay has taken that debt away. So then the question is, how could we not forgive somebody? That is the answer to that question. 
So shouldn't we have compassion? And that's a key word in that text. Shouldn't we have compassion? He says, should you not also have mercy or compassion? Shouldn't you care? Shouldn't you be willing to give? Shouldn't we have compassion on our fellow Christians just as God has had compassion on us? So let me give you three questions, and these are not in your outline there, if you're using the outline to bullet them, but just three questions to keep in mind when you're struggling with forgiving somebody, and especially if you're forgiving them again, whether it's your brother, little sister, husband, wife, somebody who just keeps keeps doing wrong. How great a debt has God forgiven me? How great a debt has God forgiven me? Second question, how many times has God forgiven me? How many times has he forgiven me? Of course, that's not seven, that's not 70 times seven. We can't even count them. Then the last question, am I better than God? So how great a debt has God forgiven me? How many times has God forgiven me? And then, am I better than God? So if you're struggling with forgiving someone, just walk through those questions in your mind, answer them to yourself, and come to the conclusion that yes, we should show mercy on others and be willing to forgive because God has shown such great mercy to us. In Ephesians 4.32, Paul instructs us to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, and forgiving one another even as God, or just as God, in Christ has forgiven us. Just as. Just as. Just as. What does that signify? In the same manner. Immediately. God forgives us immediately. He forgives us freely because the price has already been paid for that sin. Unconditionally. We don't have to do anything to merit this forgiveness. We don't have to prove ourselves to earn his forgiveness, do we? So just as God forgives us immediately, freely, and unconditionally, I think it can also include in, in like measure. So just as, in like measure, as God has forgiven us. So repeatedly, and daily, and continually, that's how God forgives us. Repeatedly, daily, continually. So that just as forgiving one another, just as God in Christ is forgiving you, this just opens up the floodgates of mercy and compassion as we think about how we've been forgiven and how we have the opportunity to be like that. We're going to go to Colossians chapter 3. So look at there, look there at these please for a minute. Colossians chapter 3. And sorry, I'm just bring up here that's not showing. Okay, that's where we are. Colossians 3, uh, look at me starting in verse 12. Again, another reinforcement of this idea of how we should be. So, Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long suffering. We've been talking about this all in a lot here in the month or so. Verse 13. Bearing with one another. That's sort of like putting up with each other. It's a little bit nicer than that. Hanging in there with one another, you might say, not bailing out, staying in And forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, whoever it is, whatever it might be, even as Christ forgave you, so also, so you also. I'm, I'm reading this because it's interesting. 
that in verse 13, the word forgiving that you see in your English Bible, we're going to use a, a word from the original language here because I think it helps understand it. Are you familiar with the word charis? You are named charis. What does charis mean? Heart, grace. This is the verb of that word, grace. Forgiving literally would be that beautiful? So, so when you hang in there with somebody and you you just keep going back, you continue working toward reconciliation, you're willing to overcome the, the seriousness and the, the depth of that offense and even the, the repetition of forgiving again, working through those issues again, you are showing grace. Another verse that, that sounds a little bit like this is Romans 5 verse 20 where sin abounded, what abounded much more? God's grace. So when you continue and repeatedly show grace to someone, you are being like God. You have the opportunity to be like Christ. And that's what the Christian life is all about. Being like Christ. So, so it is a high expectation, isn't it? A very high expectation. And it requires strength and, and help, enabling power from God to be able to do this. But when you are in a position to forgive somebody's sin and to do it again and again, think about Jesus' instruction to forgive freely and to keep forgiving. And think about how he has done that for you over and over again. And then resolve to be like Christ. Now, this does lead to some, some tough questions. This leads to some tough questions. I want to address some of these because. These are not necessarily right there explicitly in the text that we're looking at in Luke 17, but, but they're questions that people have. And one of them is the question of sincerity. The question of sincerity. So if a person sins against you and they ask forgiveness, and then they come back and they do it again, and do that several times, it seems like they're taking advantage of you. And so you wonder, are they sincere? In repenting, are they sincere in asking forgiveness? Sometimes little kids learn, learn the routines, right? They can do some mischief and then just quickly look at the door and say, I forgive. How could you not forgive? Or how could you not let them go? So cute. And people be like, well, are they, do they really mean it or am I just manipulating it? Well, we're not to do that. What are Jesus' words? We can directly come back to Colossians 3 in this. We might want to have a way to back there quickly. But back in Luke 17, 4, Jesus' choice of words is significant, where he says in Luke 17, 4, if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns, say Returns, say So we don't know what's in another person's heart, do we? But we can observe their actions. The person comes back to us and they say, I repent. What Jesus is telling us to do here is to respond to what they say, to be trusting, to give them the benefit of the doubt. I don't think he's telling us to be naive or gullible or just let anybody take advantage of us and continue on. Pattern of sin, I don't think that's what 
but in a situation where we might have a question, we might doubt their sincerity, we say, if there's no other indication, no other evidence that they aren't sincere, then we should probably take another look. There may be a situation where we would say, okay, this is, this is happening repeatedly, let's talk about this. Are you sincere? There's no wrong asking the question, right? What are you doing? What's in your heart? Why does this keep happening? We might learn that the person was already planning to do it again. That was happening. Or a person asks for forgiveness and they get their cost. Or something exposes them. Or they just feel guilty. They wait for guilt and they come and they have done their again. And then you find out later they already have plans to continue in their sin. Or you find out they're being deceitful, right? All of a sudden, a day or two later, or, or a little bit down the road, you find out that when they asked your forgiveness, they were actually lying to you or they've been lying to you since that time, that is evidence that they're not being sincere. So we definitely have to take that into consideration. But then their actions are revealing what's in their hearts, right? And at that point, they're giving evidence that they're not sincere. So we can take them at their word, but definitely challenge them with their reasons. I want to just take a little bit of a, of a side path here because this is a related question. I'm going to get too far into it today, but if you have questions, about this, we'd like to talk about it, but a, a question that arises with this is, well, what if a person doesn't repent? What if a person doesn't acknowledge they've done wrong? What if, what if you know that what they've done is sin, or it's hurtful to you, and, and they will not acknowledge it, they will not seek reconciliation, they will not ask you for forgiveness, so what if they don't repent? Well, I see Jesus' instruction here as, if he repents, there's a condition on that. And I think the key to this for, for a Christian is two things. Number one, always be ready to forgive. Be ready to forgive. Psalm 86, 5 tells us that God is ready to forgive. We've got that reference down, Psalm 86, 5. God is ready to forgive. God forgives us when we repent, right? When we ask. I don't think he's asking us to do something he doesn't do, but he's always ready. So when the when when we repent, we ask his forgiveness, the answer is always yes. So he's ready. And then the other element of this, so first of all, be ready, and then, and then secondly, don't allow yourself to become bitter. You can commit the person who did you wrong to God. Romans 12, God said, vengeance is mine, I will. So we can commit that person to God and leave it with them and allow his plan to unfold in the person's life. So again, that's just a little bit of a side issue and a question that sometimes comes to mind. So, so my, my thought is, and I think from Scripture, that if a person doesn't acknowledge the wrong, doesn't sin, we don't just say, oh, that's fine, I forgive them. Because they haven't acknowledged the wrong. You can choose to be ready to forgive and not to allow yourself to become bitter and to trust that. So the question of sincerity. Then there is the question of trust. The question of trust. If you forgive somebody for the same thing over and over, and especially if it is something that's very hurtful or, or it's destructive to a relationship, does that mean you have to trust the person? I've worked with couples and I've worked with 
the people in situations where a spouse has done another spouse to be deep wrong, been unfaithful, for example, more than unfaithful. And we work toward forgiveness, but then the question is, do I have to immediately trust this person? Right? Do I have to just accept whatever they say is so and leave them on their own? The answer is no. Forgiveness doesn't automatically result in trust. Forgiveness does not equal immediate trust. Forgiveness is free, but a repeat offender needs to rebuild trust. Trust is earned. And so although we can forgive freely and we can forgive repeatedly, somebody who has continued to do wrong or committed some serious offense like a moral offender definitely needs to rebuild that trust. This is kind of a different example, but I'm going to um, So, uh, there was an individual that, that we knew was a Christian and who had a, a business of investing other people's money for them, and he promised a pretty high return on their investment, which should send off some warning signals. But there were people who trusted him, so they gave him thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of dollars to invest for and what a lot of cautious people predicted would happen actually happened, and he lost their money, right? So, so the market went down, their money vanished, and so here they are. And he realized later that he had done something wrong. And he went back to those people. He asked them to forgive them. And as hard as it was for some of them, he was losing a good bit of their life savings. I don't know if they all did, but I know some people said, you know what, we forgive you. Does that mean they give him another $10,000? No. Because trust is earned. And it's the same with really any offense that we commit, especially those that really cause wounds or repeated offenses, is that trust is earned. Forgiveness doesn't mean trust is immediately restored, but it does make the restoration of trust possible. Because once forgiveness is in place, then the person can Another tough question is the question of resentment. The question of resentment. If, if someone hurts you and you forgive them, the hurt may not go away. Some of us in this church family have uh, honeybees, right? And if you have honeybees, if you're a beekeeper, occasionally you get stung. It's probably going to happen. And when you get stung, uh, the, the practice is, the, the recommendation is to scrape the stinger out of your skin. Because those stingers are designed to continue to pump toxin into the flesh. Once it's in there, there are bars that hold it in there. It actually even goes in deeper and, and it's pumping toxin. And the longer that stinger stays in, the, the more you're going to swell up and the more it's going to hurt. So, so the idea is to immediately scrape, scrape that out. But even if you even if you get that stinger out, if it's five seconds or ten seconds, or maybe you didn't even realize you, it happened, and, and then you look down, oh, it's a stinger in my hand. It's been there for a minute or two. But you get it out. What happens? What happens? Well, it's not back today, but it'll look like that, right? Sting from yesterday. Uh, working with the bees, and, and it's still tender. I push on it. This because there's still the effects of that toxin in there. And I think that's a pretty good illustration of what happens when somebody hurts us and they sting 
wound us with words, with actions, with disappointment, with broken promise, with anger, with abuse. And even though we might get to a point where we say, you know what, I, I forgive you, or they have asked for forgiveness, and and we're trying to come to that point where we are ready to forgive, we're not going to be resentful, we're not going to be bitter, still hurts, doesn't it? It can still hurt. So what do we do with that? Well, this is where I go back to Colossians chapter 3. And he says in, uh, in verse 12, put on, put on. And you know what that is? That indicates a choice. So you have to make a decision. You have to decide, I am not going to allow that hurt, that wrong, that offense to control, determine who I am and how I think and the way I respond. I'm going to make a choice to, to show tender mercy and kindness and be humble and have meekness and be long-suffering and bear with others and, and if and when that opportunity comes to, to forgive others. Why? Because this is an opportunity to be like Jesus. It's not just putting on some fabricated action or attitude. It's, it's, it's growing in the likeness of Jesus Christ. And the result is, as he says in verse 15, the, the peace. Let the peace of God, verse 15, rule in your hearts, which also you were called in one body, and be so we can choose to be thankful for what God's doing in our lives and enabling us to be like Him. And peace flows our lives. Pushes out bitterness, pushes out resentment. And that's the blessing. You can live in peace, even if there isn't immediate peace in that relationship with someone else. Resentment is like a tick on a dog, it will suck the life out. As long as you love. So put off bitterness and wrath and put on love. Think about Joseph, who was terribly mistreated by his brothers. And his response when they came to him cowering, begging for their lives because he was in a place of authority where he could just have their heads off his back. Be not be afraid. For am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. In order to bring about this present result to preserve many people. That's real. That happened. He said it. Imagine how he was treated. Sure, he ended up with some nice situations and level of prosperity, but let us take away the purpose that your family goes to. And he knew that he was not in God's place. And he entrusted himself to God. In fact, this is what this is what Jesus Christ himself did. Peter describes it this way in 1 Peter 2, verse 23. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. If anybody had a right to do that, Jesus did. While suffering, he uttered no threats but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. That's what Jesus did. He committed himself to his heavenly Father, knowing that he could trust in the righteous judge, God. So entrust yourself to God's just judgment, like Jesus did. A long time ago, way back, way, way back, 
forgiveness, forgiving others, and I came across this story. And it was about a man who lived in Florida, actually a little boy who lived in Florida, was 10 years old. And his dad had a business and fired an employee. The employee was upset. And he was pretty pretty bad news person anyway. And so so he he waited until this employer's little boy was 10, came out of school, and kidnapped him. He took him out of the Everglades and uh, basically, basically tortured him. Um, he used cigarettes, he used uh, a pointed object, and eventually shot him. Shot him in the head and left him for dead. The boy named Chris uh, woke up, regained consciousness six days later. And a hunter found him sitting on a rock out in the Everglades swamp. And uh, a bullet actually went behind his, his eyes, took his sight in his left eye, and, uh, but miraculously did not damage his brain. And he was, that was when he was 10, he was 13, he was sitting in church, and somewhere in there, I think it was at point, somewhere in there, he became a Christian. He trusted in Jesus. When he was 13, his testimony is that in a Bible study at his church, he just became aware of, of God's providence and of, of God's goodness and God's purpose in his life. And he was able to do what we're talking about here today as a 13-year-old boy, just let this thing go. Before that, he would have nightmares, he would wake up at night afraid. He was able just to entrust that to God as, as a young person. And when I came across that story, that was the end of the story about this boy's ability to let this situation go as a Christian. But later, several years later, I was preaching again on forgiveness, and I thought, you know, I'm going to look up that story. You know, just, that was kind of before the internet and all that, and so I wanted to look it up and see if there's anything out there about this to kind of verify that this really happened. And I came across the rest of the story. So the police had a suspect, this man, David Capistro, his name was, but they didn't have enough evidence to charge him. And one day the police went back to see this man who was actually in a nursing home at the time. He was an invalid, he was blind, he was very weak and frail. And the police just went back to talk to him and to question him one more time and set him up. When they went back to question him, he confessed. And so the police called Chris and told him. And he said, I want to see it. So Chris came to see 77-year-old David Callister. You know what he did when he walked in the room of the nursing home? He said, I want to forgive. He offered him forgiveness. And they started a friendship. And they would read the Bible and they would pray together. And David McAllister ultimately trusted Jesus as the Savior. So I'm finding this. This is the rest of the story after I've seen it that first time. McAllister actually said to reporters, he said, Chris is one of the best friends
Chris said, I know the world might view me as the victim of a horrible tragedy, but I consider myself the victim of many miracles. And while many people can't understand how I could forgive David McAllister from my point of view, he says, I couldn't not forgive him. If I'd chosen to hate him all these years or spend my life looking for revenge, I wouldn't be the man I am today. The man God has helped me. When he died, God looked after that. No friends, no family, even claimed his body to make arrangements for his funeral. But Chris Carrier didn't. What an example, a real one example. Showing that we can have a heart of forgiveness, we can be ready to forgive if an opportunity ever comes. We don't have to be eaten up with resentment or revenge. And then that we can promise and practice forgiveness even to someone who has hurt us deeply. Luke 17, 4, Jesus is telling us to keep forgiving, to forgive as a way of life. Would someone say about you, he or she is a very forgiving person? And let's remember who it is that told us live this way. Who is our great example? The Lord Jesus Christ himself. So if you want to learn more about forgiveness, look to Jesus. Read the Gospels. Think about your own life. How God has forgiven you and saved you every day since. Study God. And then look at your own experience and let the Holy Spirit change your heart to become like the only way to have the ability to really forgive, to make the promise of forgiveness, and to practice forgiveness, and to be a forgiving person, and to forgive when part of you doesn't want to, is Christ in you. And the Spirit of God will be that's how it's So have a hard attitude of forgiveness, make a regular practice of forgiveness, and forgive, forgive. And we put off uh, the Lord's Supper. It was supposed to be last Sunday, only uh, first Sunday of the month to today, so we could enjoy it together here in the auditorium. And I could have uh, the blessing of sharing it with you. And it's perfect, isn't it? That we have the Lord's Supper today and think about God's great forgiveness. And we can be thankful for Thankful for the forgiveness of God for giving to us. So let me pray, and then we're going to sing a little bit. We cannot fathom your great love for us, Heavenly Father. We appreciate it. And I pray that today help every one of us to understand your love and your forgiveness in the way it helps us to show grace have compassion and be very long suffering with others and to forgive as you do. I pray for any of us that may have a long standing feud with someone. Maybe a past church situation or falling out with a family member, maybe even a good friend. 
help us in just our day-to-day family relationships? And I pray you help us going forward as a church that free forgiveness and repeated forgiveness that characterizes for us to grow, for us to be like you, for us to resemble to you, so that we can represent you fully and accurately in your eyes, help us to be forgiven people. Whatever stands in the way of that, whether it's now or sometime in the future, please submit to that. We want Christ to be formed in us. We need the work of the Holy Spirit in us to shape who we are. So help us to yield to you. And when we say we want to be like Jesus, help us to really mean that and be willing to accept all of it. In Jesus' name.